0: Goff's three-minute history Cause knowledge is- Would you be interested in getting William Wurt's head back? This call came into the Congressional Cemetery in Washington DC in 2003. Then a click and the line was dead. William Wurt's hardly a household name, and so it's no surprise that unless you're a political junkie, historian, or live in our beautiful little county named after him, that you've probably never heard of William Wirt. Little background, Born in, he was born in 1772, orphaned at the age of 8, and moved from Maryland to Virginia with his uncle and became a lawyer. His one major claim to fame lies in the fact that he is our longest serving attorney general at 12 years, serving under both James Monroe and John Quincy Adams. He also famously prosecuted Aaron Burr for treason and later was nominated for president in the 1832 election as, to quote historian William Vaughn, "...possibly the most reluctant and unwilling presidential candidate ever nominated by an American party." Wirt never campaigned and actually refused to answer questions about the elections. Ironically, he still won Vermont and became the first third-party candidate to ever carry a state in an election. A few years later, he got a cold that turned into St. Anthony's fire and died in February of 1834, and was buried in the Congressional Cemetery in an undistinguished grave. Decades later, his son-in-law would build a family crypt in the cemetery, moving Wirt's remains to a large monument atop the tallest point of the grounds. There, If you enter a small locked door at the base of the monument, you climb down a ladder to a crypt with three shelves in which Wurtz's coffin sat in the middle one. After the mysterious call, the cemetery was again contacted, this time by a local councilman named Jim Graham. The head had been anonymously dropped off at his office, and he wanted to return it to its rightful place, if indeed it was Wurtz's. Later, Graham admitted that a local bookstore owner had given it to him. He had required it from Robert L. White, who we'll get to in a few minutes. Cemetery officials decided to investigate these claims to see if it were possible and began by inspecting the monument and found that indeed the door to the crypt had been broken and a large granite block had been placed there to hold it shut. Now to Robert L. White. Through a series of unknown circumstances, Wirt's skull had ended up in his hands. Robert L. White is the self-described number one headhunter in all of Baltimore and died with a collection of over 40 skulls in his possession. The skull was wrapped in a purple silk cloth in a box with the Honorable William Wirt painted on the outside. White had recently died and so the answer to how he came about the possession of Wirt's head died with him. It had been delivered to Graham's office, but one of the most surprising things I learned through all of this is it's completely legal to buy, sell, and possess human bones in the United States. There are a few exceptions, including the remains of Native Americans, but otherwise, if you want skeletal remains, you can get a skull and bones for as well as $100. Smithsonian anthropologists came to inspect the skull and greatly actually doubted it belonged to Wirt simply because a 62 year old man in the 1830s couldn't possibly have that nice of a set of teeth and so many left in his skull that they believed it was that of a younger man. So they also decided to inspect the tomb and actually went down into the crypt. When they dropped down in it was a disaster. Coffins and bones littered the floor. When they began picking through the rubble they found a shattered coffin with a brass nameplate reading William Wirt 1772 to 1834 and the body inside headless of the eight bodies that were assigned to this crypt all were accounted for with the exception of the headless Wirt what adds even more mystery to this entire story is that in the crypt hidden under the ladder were the skeletal remains of an infant Here are the questions that for now and possibly forever will remain unanswered. First of all, when was the skull stolen? We have no idea. Some point to a period in the 70s and early 80s when the cemetery had become run down and vandalism occurred all over the property. Others point to the turn of the 20th century when craniology, or the study of the shape and size of skulls, created a very high demand and we see a lot of grave robbers breaking into tombs to steal the remains. The age of the box and design of the latch on it led to an early 1900s design, but it's quite possible they just put the skull in an old box. The size and the weight of the granite block holding the crypt door shut would lead one to believe that it took at least two people to be involved in this caper. Another question comes up with, speaking of that, who would have stolen it? Everyone agrees that while Robert White was a skull collector, he was hardly a grave robber. And since he died without saying where he got the skull from, we may never have an answer. And finally, why Wirt? Wirt was hardly famous at this point in history. While alive, he had garnered some fame, but he wasn't a household name like Washington or Lincoln. And over a 100 years after his death, why focus on Wirt? There were easier graves to break into and less conspicuous, remember. This monument was the largest and at the highest point of the cemetery. It would appear that the risk-reward of this choice just would not make this very viable. The mystery of the skull of William Wirt may forever remain just that, a mystery. Class dismissed. This podcast written, produced, and narrated by Isaac Goff in wild, wonderful Word County, West Virginia. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Goff's three minute.